This is Critical Thinking Part 5, UFOs, UAPs, and the Nature of the Universe. In the Supreme Court case, Jacobellis v. Ohio, in 1964, a manager of a motion picture theater was convicted of violating an obscenity law for exhibiting a risque foreign film. The case came down to whether or not a particular film was technically considered hardcore pornography, and the question was put to the Supreme Court to define what was and what wasn't hardcore pornography. Justice Potter Stewart declined to accept the invitation to define the terms and mire himself in the un unsavory minutia. Merely saying, I shall not today attempt to further define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced, but I know it when I see it. And Justice Stewart got it right. We shouldn't always bite on convention, and I invite myself not to be confined by conventional thinking, but I don't seek to disrupt or be different, I'm just not afraid to authentically disrupt or be different. And conventional thinking is all around us all the time, inviting us to just assume that it's exactly the way they say it is. I've even taken critical thinking courses, and in the course of the instruction, the instructor says, the first step is always to define the problem. And no. I disagree. If you're lost and you're trying to hike to the North Pole, you don't need to worry about re-triangulating your position or formulating an accurate problem statement and getting everyone's buy-in. All you need to do is put the rising sun on your right shoulder and start walking. You just turn north and start stepping. You don't need to define the problem. You don't need to find out where you are because sometimes all you need to do is just get moving. And I've been listening with a critical ear to both sides of this alien discussion that's going on in our country. And there's a lot of energy on both sides. Some people think pro-alien people are crackpots and pseudoscientists. And the irony is I've seen the same level of zealous anti-alien energy from atheists and religious people alike. And in Clubhouse, an actual astrophysicist from UCSD, Dr. Andy Howell, said he'd been on TV a lot and knows Neil deGrasse Tyson and all these other famous astrophysicists. And he he told me religion was all mythology, and then he tried to convince me that UFO footage released by the United States Navy was bogus, and that the Navy's infrared sensors weren't calibrated properly, and the Navy didn't know how to use their own equipment, right? And he repeated himself over and over that the UFOs cited by the Nimitz Surface Warfare Battle Group and our Navy fighter pilots using infrared radar and direct visual observation, he said they were all just non-scientists being duped by equipment malfunctions, and that they didn't understand and they weren't trained to recognize. I respect disagree with Andy. I'm comfortable that when a carrier battle group of the United States Navy says they detected and confirmed the presence of a UFO or a UAP, they actually saw a UFO or a UAP, and that is a fact. In that respect, I have the same faith in the United States Navy that I do in Justice Stewart. I have faith that when the U.S. Navy says they know a UFO when they see it, that they know a UFO when they see it. Now, I think a healthy skepticism is important, but from my discussion with Dr. Andy Howe, I've discovered that on this topic, there are going to be otherwise seemingly qualified people, even astrophysicists like Andy, who are so entrenched in their beliefs against UFOs and UAPs that they're deeply committed to their conclusions, believing everyone else to be making a confirmation bias error. Even if it means impugning the reconnaissance capabilities of the United States Navy's Nimitz Carrier Battle Group and more recently the USS Omaha. I think Andy's unwavering commitment to the idea that the United States Naval Forces are in 
competent to detect and target and confirm a UFO is a reflection of the same cognitive dissonance that I talked about in Leadership Part 6, Negotiation Supremacy. Andy's gone on for so long telling everyone that UFOs aren't real that it's difficult for him to change his opinion even though the United States Navy is saying, yes, UFOs are real. But there's just as much blind enthusiasm like Andy's on the other side arguing that there are aliens, that they're here to take our resources, that we're in the middle of an invisible war between greys and the lizard people who are fighting each other for the right to dominate us, mass abduct us, deep state global conspiracy theories trying to confuse us, the Podesta emails and the Payas patents, and some of it's legit for sure, but then there's a lot of pseudoscience and fanaticism that isn't productive either. But in the same way that Justice Stewart just says when it comes to hardcore pornography, I know when I see it, there's one thing at the start point that I'm comfortable with, and that is that there are spaceships zipping around in the atmosphere, going underwater and out into space and disappearing. I've seen video footage clear enough for me and the U.S. Navy to be comfortable with. Those are spaceships shaped like Tic Tacs, shaped like crosses, and shaped like pyramids. They are floating, changing directions, doing random things, flying at speeds, and maneuvering in ways that we can't do yet. And that is a fact. And I'm not going to spend any time reinventing the wheel trying to defend whether or not there are actually UFOs because that would be a waste of time. So the start point of our critical thinking is going to be in the context that we know that UFOs and UAPs are real. Are they aliens? Maybe. I don't have enough information to say one way or the other, and nobody in the public seems to have enough to definitively say one way or the other either. But there are two things that might be the best evidence so far that have come from space. An elongated space rock that flew in from interstellar space and then flew past us and then changed direction and accelerated out of our solar system. They called that space rock Aumamua. But there are some new theories about nitrogen release that could argue that Aumamua actually behaved like comet-like, but it did didn't have a comet tail, but from what I've seen, it seems a pretty good candidate for some kind of mothership. And the other thing was that two radio listening posts picked up what we think are interstellar signals that we don't recognize as our own, they don't occur in nature, and we got two of them. But the inception of critical thinking in this problem set, I will begin with the premise that those are UFOs, UAPs, and they are zipping around up there in the sky. So now we start our critical thinking, we begin with the binary mutually exclusive analysis. So those things zipping around up there are either one of two things, they're either humans or they're not humans, and that is a fact. It's a binary mutually exclusive classification, it's either us or it ain't. And if it ain't us, then it must be aliens of some kind. Now if it is us, then there's no way it's us with our current technology today. It can't be us now. And that is a fact. It has to be a quantum hologram, an echo of our future. The reason this must be true, the reason it is a certainty, is that we do not have the physics or the engineering to make a vehicle like that fly the way it does. We just don't have it. If we did, Elon Musk wouldn't be crashing so many SpaceX rockets that use thrusters and fuel. We don't have the physics to do it yet, and I'll talk about that in a second. So if it is us, it cannot be us today with our current technology. So it must be a future version of us, and the only way that I can logically reconcile that future version of us zipping around 
in my face today is if there's a quantum echo of our future that is showing up in our present today. We must be seeing a quantum echo of our future coming back to the past, which is in our present. And the only way I can think that that's possible is as a spontaneous symmetry break in physics where the presence of enough energy, our quantum identity, splits out the Higgs boson field and disassociates our matter from our mass. Which means it's still us, we just don't weigh anything. And if we could make ourselves and our ship massless, then we could zip around everywhere, turn corners, pull major G's, no problem. And the second thing is, we know from studying particle collisions at CERN and other particle accelerators, we know that it could also trigger the reflection of a quantum echo that would travel from our present in the future to our past, which would be our present right now. But that's not all we need. That probably won't give us the horsepower to go super fast. But for that, to achieve ludicrous speed, we probably need to access zero-point energy. And pretty much all physicists agree that zero-point energy in the universe is practically limitless. And zero-point energy is the force that the universe will use to try to fill a vacuum, which I talked about before in Critical Thinking Part 4. And so to move our tic-tac, what we'd need to do is try to get nature and the universe to shove super hard in the direction we want to go by making the universe think there's a vacuum there that it needs to fill. But that's harder to do than it sounds. So in the future, here's what it'd look like. We'd get into our Tic Tac and fire it up. We'd generate our future technology force field, which triggers what is called legit in quantum physics, a spontaneous symmetry break. And we disassociate from the Higgs boson field, like remember in Critical Thinking Part 4, we're just turning off all the red pixels in our TV. Well, so inside our futuristic force field, our mass and the mass of our ship drops to zero. Our quantum echo jumps into the past somewhere, and then we zip around using zero-point energy, and we're in business. When we're done, we kill the field and then kill the engine, and our present entangled quantum echo in the past rejoins, and we achieve particle symmetry, renormalization. And then in the past, our quantum echo disappears, and we go into the kitchen and make a sandwich. I also think this is why we never recover any spaceships when they're flying around or land or what have you because when the field stops, the quantum states are still entangled and they renormalize and come back together and the UFO or UAP disappears. And I discussed the Pius patents in my last Critical Thinking Part 4 episode, and I told about how the patent claims to work by creating a vortex of disassociated charged particles, essentially an electromagnetic quantum force field that disassociates all the Higgs boson particles in a bubble around the ship, dropping the ship's mass and everything inside of it to zero, and it also created an electromagnetic vacuum within the cavity of the ship's walls, creating zero-point energy as the universe tried to push matter into the cavity of the ship from all around it, and then the ship could be motivated according to the patent by using microwave emitters to reduce the zero-point energy that the universe was pushing on the front of the ship so that the zero-point energy in the back of the ship was heavier and so the ship would go forward. But then I said that the patents could be a ruse, a strategic deception, feigning technological breakthroughs to mislead American adversaries, or sought by the government because on one hand, they're a ruse, they certainly don't work the way they say right now because we just don't have the physics for that yet. And I think they may be a way to mislead some kind of counterintelligence operation to maybe get our adversaries to throw some resources at something that won't work. But the other thing they might be doing is making some critical component of the technology that we're actually working on legitly so that the enemies of our country won't be able to tell exactly what we're actually doing that's legit. If we didn't have that patent, then they might detect some weird scientific research and figure out what we were really doing by putting that patent out there. It's bogus, but it might provide some cover and a pretext that can mask the legit R&D we are doing. 
I think it might also be a PR strategy to help the American people and our congressional leadership get excited and get behind the idea of throwing money at science. If they give us this vision, I think it's a distinct possibility. In any case, I know the pious patents can't work the way they're currently written. And the reason I know this is because of an interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson that I saw yesterday. On April 19, 2021, Neil deGrasse Tyson was interviewed on CBS and he described an experiment performed at the Fermilab outside Chicago. It's another particle accelerator like the one at CERN that discovered how Higgs singlets can jump out of time back into the past. And this very significant experiment found that the muon particle, which is essentially a super high energy electron, oscillated or vibrated unexpectedly when it was sent through a magnetic field. And this is a really big deal. What this means is if we can get these particles, just like the colors inside of our pixels, if we can get them to spin differently or oscillate differently, we might be able to get them to spin off and maybe disassociate that field or those particles. We might be able to turn off the red part of the pixel, so to speak, which is what we need to do to shed our Higgs boson particles to get our mass to zero. And it's what we'd need to do probably to get free from the electromagnetic field to get some zero point energy going, put another way with further research, we might be able to put to use this technology to cause spontaneous symmetry break, and that might lead to the physics and the technology we need to fly our Tic Tacs. But if this is the way, so to speak, and I think it's pretty much the only way, let me give you an idea for how far off this technology is. There's pretty much three levels of particles that we're dealing with when it comes to causing these oscillations, which could let us achieve the symmetry break we need. Electrons is the first level of that kind of particle, and the highest energy of any electron is a gamma ray. The second level is a muon. It's a super-powered electron, like about 200 times heavier than a gamma ray, and that's what we shot through the magnetic field, and it made that muon spin differently the other day. By the way, each of these particles has a sidekick called a neutrino. They're always zipping around through us everywhere. They're really small, and they weakly interact with everything. Above the muon is where we need to take our physics to level three. Once we unlock level three, we will be working with what we call the tau particle. And this is the money level, according to the Podesta emails. It's an ultra, ultra high energy, and we're not there yet. Remember the Podesta emails, Dr. Mitchell said the key to unlocking zero-point energy was the tau neutrino. So it's the little sidekick of the level three particle. Now, was Dr. Mitchell actually in contact with God-worshipping alien extra-dimensional beings who mastered zero-point energy? It's hard to say. I want to say yes. The skeptic in me says no. Prove it. But the U.S. Navy says it's been seeing tic-tac zipping around for years so and so have normal everyday people so nobody can say that there's not some basis to think that maybe he's telling the truth so let's gamify this to put it in perspective humankind has achieved just enough physics experience points to achieve second level quantum physics it's possible when we unlock the achievement for third level quantum physics we'll get the skills and the powers we need to fly a tic-tac. And to close this episode, I want to share something with you. Today I achieved illumination. It happened as I was assimilating the things I've learned about quantum physics, symmetric breaks, quantum fields, and everything tangential to this problem set over the last 10 days or so. And then I started to tear apart my own theory of the quantum echoes of our future flights in our tic-tac spaceships. Because like I said in Critical Thinking Part 1, way back when, if the puzzle doesn't fit perfectly, then some something isn't right. And I started to attack my own theory about the quantum echoes. And it was like a splinter in my mind. I couldn't stop thinking about it. 
because my theory of the quantum echoes can't exist in a universe that's three-dimensional space, length, width, and depth, plus a fourth dimension of time. The reason the Voorhees quantum echo theory can't work in a three-dimensional space plus time is because think about how we're actually moving through space conventionally. Even if we think we're standing still, we're actually spinning at a thousand miles an hour around the axis of the Earth. And the Earth orbits the Sun at 67,000 miles per hour. But that's not all. The solar system is spinning around the supermassive black hole Sagittarius A star that sits at the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way. And we're spinning around Sagittarius A star at 500,000 miles per hour. And the Milky Way galaxy is flying in the direction of the constellation Leo at 1.3 million miles per hour. So if our quantum echoes of our tic-tac flights actually jumped years back into the past, then they wouldn't, then they would appear in deep space millions of miles away. Because if our conventional thinking that we're in space moving through time, if that's true, then they're a occurring in space in the future, so they would need to occur right now in the place we'll be in the future, which is millions or billions of miles ahead of where we're at right now, so we would never see them. And so I was tearing myself up trying to think, how does this work? How does this work? And then I remembered kind of a complicated thing. Uh, Jacob D. Beckenstein solved this problem with black holes by instead of viewing the black hole as a three-dimensional body in space, he took it as a two-dimensional body and solved this really complex problem as a function of the flat surface area all around the black hole rather than modeling it as a 3D object. So he transformed 3D space into 2D space and solved the problem. And then, boom, my mind was just expanding through space and time. I got all these tingles and the whole of the solution assembled itself spontaneously. And that's when I realized that we live in a two-dimensional universe that's actually a hologram. And time doesn't exist separately from us or, or anything else either. Time is the sensation we feel as we absorb information in the order we experience it. Now I know this sounds crazy, stay with me. You are in the mind of a madman and soon you will understand the chaos in my mind. So look into the stars in the sky. We've talked about this before because light from the sun takes eight minutes to get to earth when you look at the sun, you're technically receiving information about what the sun looked like eight minutes ago. And when you look at the star in the sky that's a hundred light years away, you're receiving information, experiencing the light from the star emitted a hundred years ago. So time doesn't really exist as a dimension because you're experiencing the universe at different times all at the same time. But what you're actually experiencing and receiving is information right now. And the information you're experiencing right now is a combined signal, light, sounds, smells, that is read at one moment by your brain. You don't experience a bunch of different time. You experience only information. And all information in the universe is either information that you experience or information that you don't experience. It's either things that you know or the things that you don't. And the critical thinker's insatiable appetite for information and the relentlessness with which the critical thinker commits themselves to processing and assimilating the information they detect is the source of their intellectual supremacy. And that's when I realized our reality is just like a hologram. Just like the hologram on your driver's license or your credit card. You look at it and based on how the light refracts, you experience distributed information across the hologram, which would be exactly like the time and spatial difference you'd see if you looked out your window. So visually, the reality of 
relive our holographic existence in a 2D physical environment where the third dimension is information. So the 2D universe in a hologram with a third dimension of information where the rate at which we process information sequentially is interpreted by our brain as the passage of time is absolutely indistinguishable from a three-dimensional universe moving through time. So it kind of makes me wonder if the philosopher Rene Descartes, who coined the phrase cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, really understood what he was saying. It's almost profoundly ironic, right? Because his statement was much closer to reality than he understood reality. Because a philosopher living in a 2D plus information universe thinks he's in a 3D plus time universe, but says, I think, therefore I am, instead of, I'm getting older, therefore I am. Now, I'm not not suggesting that time is irrelevant. Width and height are relevant dimensions in two-dimensional space, but inches is not relevant as a dimension. Inches are a measure of the dimensions of height and width, and just the same way, time could be considered a relevant measure in the dimension of information. Time is to information as inches are to height, but time is a variable state, and in that regard seems like a poor foundation as a dimension of a universe. So picture yourself now living on the front of your flat two-dimensional TV screen which is in the form of a hologram which creates the illusion that you see and exist in three dimensions. And you might think to yourself, no, I know there's three dimensions because I walk forward side to side and I can jump up and that's three dimensions. But the truth is, no. Your brain sits in a completely enclosed, dark chamber. Your brain doesn't directly experience anything. It only interprets the signals and the information it receives. So we experience the universe only in the way our brains interpret the signals it receives. So just like walking in a dream, your brain might think that you're walking, even if you're not. If your brain is receiving signals that make it think it's moving in three dimensions, then your brain thinks it's moving in three dimensions, even though you're actually only in a two-dimensional environment. And of course, just like we talked before, quantum field theory is in effect, so you're made up now of pixels with 17 different colors inside. Everything in the universe on the hologram is made up of these pixels with all of these subcolors just like every pixel in your TV is comprised of a green, red, and blue subcomponent. Now in this model of the universe, there's no time, there's just information, and from Critical Thinking episodes part 1, 2, 3, and 4, and almost every other episode of Sonic Gravity, the Sonic Tribe knows for certain that the whole universe of information exists because the whole universe exists. And therefore, all of the information in the universe exists in only one of two binary mutually exclusive states. Every element of information in the universe sorts itself into one of two buckets. It's either the bucket of the information that we know or the bucket of the information that we don't know. So as we receive the information in the universe, that information is changing the hologram, and the changing hologram is being recorded by our memory. Our memory is our understanding and record of how the information we received is changing our universe, and how the universe is interacting with us, because we are not actually apart from the universe. We are actually part of the hologram too, and the hologram is experiencing us as well. Where time is merely our interpretation and the rate at which 
which we see the information we receive changing our hologram. Because in my mind, the universe was the only divine thing ever created for the purpose of experiencing itself. And in that way, it was created for its own benefit. And it ascribes unto itself its own significance in that is a fact. And in this context, maxims like you reap what you sow and you sleep in the bed that you make and karma is a bitch become physical reality because we are all an inseparable part of the same hologram. And that too is a fact, right? It's kind of like a traffic jam. You see yourself apart from the traffic jam and you feel like the traffic jam is holding you back, but the rest of the universe thinks you are the jam. And think of how much more accurate information is as a dimension compared to time. You think about the idea that time is actually what we interpret when we experience information, the rate at which we experience information. And think about the hummingbird. The hummingbird experiences information at a much faster cycle than we do. It turns its head faster than we do, and time doesn't exist differently for the hummingbird than it does for the human. But it's because the hummingbird experiences information on a higher frequency than humans do, it appears faster. And then things start to make a lot more sense, because when you think of time stopping, it's really a condition of zero interaction and zero information experience. Now you're part of the hologram, looking into the face of the hologram, and I want you to picture yourself on the face of this hologram, facing towards your TV, falling backwards through information, experiencing the information as you pass through it, or as it passes through you, and as you receive the information, it changes the hologram you're looking at. Of course, common sense says that you can only remember and detect information as you experience it, right? It's not a function of time. The information is exists whether or not you've experienced it. So you're receiving information, falling backwards through information, and as the information hits your hologram, which you receive and process as you view the hologram, you are experiencing the universe. And then boom, in the information we haven't fallen through, it's somewhere behind us. We haven't experienced it, so it hasn't changed our hologram yet. But in the universe of information, the human race achieves level three quantum physics powers. And the human race is able to turn off the Higgs boson part of the pixel of the hologram. And when the human race in the information that's behind us that we haven't fallen through turns off the Higgs boson component of the pixel by firing up the force field in the engines of our tic-tac, the information, the quantum echo of the flying tic-tac, that part of the pixel in our hologram turns off and creates a super flat spot on the hologram. It flattens and becomes a mirror. And when we look at that part of the hologram in the reflection, we can see the information behind us that we have yet to fall through and when we can see that new information a quantum hologram we see the reflection of the tic-tac in our future so to speak and when we experience that quantum projection of our ufo future it's very real it's actual information just as real as the rest of the information that we experience in our hologram so when you see that flying ufo and know that you are merely seeing information out of time, then you will know that you have been inside my mind and seen the universe through the eyes of a madman. And when you realize that time doesn't really exist and you're left with the realization that you exist in a two-dimensional hologram and space and time exist only in the universe of information that you are falling through, then you will know that I am inside your mind too.